This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Do you want to set your child up for success? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Well, I know with Eleanor, when she was struggling so much with math, if she had been able to do online learning at home, she would have been much better able to keep up with the class, and that would have just made the whole situation much easier for her. Don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And half your listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com happier. Visit IXL.com happier to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast about how to be happier. This week is our discussion for the Happier Podcast Book Club, because nothing makes us happier than reading a great book. So we'll be talking to Kate Bowler about her terrific memoir, No Cure for Being Human, and Other Truths I Need to Hear. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and joining me today from L.A. is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, it's so fun when we read the same book at the same time. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yes, Gretchen, I can't keep up with your pace of reading, but occasionally we can overlap when we're reading the same book. And then we can discuss. Yes. Okay, before we jump into our conversation with Kate, um, we are going to be doing a guide of gift suggestions coming up. So what are some products that you have bought that have made you happier or that you've bought as gifts that have made someone else happier? I once gave my husband, Jamie, a subscription to Sports Illustrated, (laughs) which was a great gift. And um, relatedly, we are still collecting answers for people about overbuyers dealing with overbuying. So Mm, on the one hand, buying that makes you happier, and on the other hand, buying that maybe doesn't make you happier, we are looking for answers to both those questions. Yes, and please keep those app suggestions coming. We're going to do a very special episode about apps that make us happier, and we are looking for suggestions for great apps. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of excellent suggestions, so keep those coming. And now for the conversation about the book. Two years ago, we launched our Happier Podcast Book Club, and today we will talk about our most recent choice, the wonderful memoir, by Kate Bowler called No Cure for Being Human. Yes, here is the official description. 
It's hard to give up on the feeling that the life you really want is just out of reach. A beach body by summer, a trip to Disneyland around the corner, a promotion on the horizon. Everyone wants to believe that they are headed toward good, better, best. But what happens when the life you hope for is put on hold indefinitely? Kate Bowler believed that life was a series of unlimited choices until she discovered at the age of 35 that her body was racked with cancer. In No Cure for Being Human, she searches for a way forward as she mines the wisdom and absurdity of today's best life now advice industry, which insists on exhausting positivity and on trying to convince us that we can out-eat, out-learn, and outperform our humanness. We are, she finds, as fragile as the day we were born. With dry wit and unflinching honesty, Kate Bowler grapples with her diagnosis, her ambition, and her faith as she tries to come to terms with her limitations in a culture that says anything is possible. She finds that we need one another if we're going to tell the truth. Life is beautiful and terrible, full of hope and despair and everything in between, and there's no cure for being human. Elizabeth and I both also loved Kate's first memoir called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Kate is a professor at Duke Divinity School, and I have also read her academic books, Blessed, A History of the American Prosperity Gospel, and The Preacher's Wife, The Precarious Power of Evangelical Women Celebrities. And she has a great podcast, Everything Happens. And if you'd like to listen to an interview of Gretchen and Kate talking on Everything Happens, um, there will be a link in the show notes. Hello, Kate. Hi, Kate. (laughs) Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's so great to be talking to you, Kate. We love this memoir. Thanks. Yes. That means so much to me. I uh, Anyone who wants to walk into my just gentle despair, I, I feel so <laughs> fortunate to have friends like that. Well, here's a question. I mean, you're clearly in this extremely challenging situation, and now you've written two memoirs about it. And it's interesting because research shows that writing a narrative of something often does help people make sense of it and helps them come to peace with it. How do you feel like the process of writing about your experiences has helped you understand them or think about them? Yeah, I I, I certainly think that it was both therapeutic emotionally, but also intellectually really satisfying Mm. because... It was it just lined up so beautifully with the kinds of th- things I researched. So I, I uncannily, so, <laughs> one yeah, might it say. is eerie and horrifying and wonderful to then have a chance to be able to research the kind of different cultural formulas we have for how we explain suffering and what happens to us. And so for the first book, I was really interested in the in the problem of the crisis, like what happens when your life mm. comes apart and there's a before and an after and you're kind of wondering why and um, how do I deal with the unfairness of life? Mm-hmm. And then this, I got to have a different version of the same problem, which is, well, then what kind of, what when, when, when life is a chronic condition, mm-hmm. what kind of formulas and advice giving do we get in that stage when you have to move forward with this life you didn't choose? So in both kind of bookends of this experience, it's, it really has helped me make sense of life as a crisis and then life as a chronic condition. And did you feel like your sort of attitude or your place in this experience was different when you yeah. started the second one from where you were in the first one? 
I think I write either when something's unbelievably funny or unbelievably sad. It's usually a starting point for me. And and I, I think part of what was a similar sort of emotional place for me was that I I was extremely lonely in having a life that was unsolvable. Felt like I'd kind of always been exiled from the land of the the normal and the small talkers. Like I was always gonna be the person that was mm. bad at kids' birthday parties. And so I uh it did it did give me a chance to think about why it's so hard to make sense of problems that persist. Mm. And that that mental framework I think was 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 one I needed to kind of sit in for a bit. Well, I thought one of the most interesting observations that you made, because it seemed surprising, but then the minute you pointed it out, it rang absolutely true, was that the people who love you most mm, are the yeah. ones who want to ignore the issue yes. the most. Because they <laughs> yeah. want to just be like, oh, well, this is okay. Well, we're, you know, because they don't want to yeah. have to accept the reality. So uh, explain that, because yeah. that to me was like a big, big insight. Well, I guess I, I thought that... Like the people who are around you in a crisis, that they're kind of like the firefighter type friends. Mm-hmm. Like they rush in and they bring the water and they put, they want to put it out. But then what happens if your life is sort of a low grade burn? Right. And, uh, right. and I, I found that over the course, because my, you know, I was initially diagnosed with stage four cancer, but it wasn't just an event. It, it was really intense, persistent treatment and then very complicated, intense, sometimes life-threatening surgeries for about two years. And then it still wasn't over. It was just, and then it shifted to scary scans and a lot of travel to try to find experts. And the long haul Mm -hmm. meant that it was really, it wasn't just going to have a moment where where it it interrupted my relationships. It was going to redefine all of my relationships. And Mm. I just hated that because I wanted to be lovable and not just lovable, but likable. Like who wants to be the one that just keeps having the problem? And I, I realized for a long time, I thought, well, am I just not doing this right? Like, am I having, like, am I, why can't I get back to yeah. being yeah. this easy person? And and then I realized sometimes it's, it really is the people who love you most that find the intractable nature of your problems, the fact that you you're you can't be solved to be unbearable because they because they love you. Mm-hmm. And so then you both end up lying to each other. You know, I'm always saying things are things are getting better and they're always pretending it never happened and somewhere right. in the middle there is is the fact that it is uh that we're not just sort of interrupted that so often we're we're changed in the process Mm. of going through something like that. And and we all need to make a different kind of peace with it. They want to put it in the rear view mirror and be like, well, that was intense, but now we're moving forward. And you're like, it's not in the rear view mirror. It's still in my my windshield. And it is. But but that's too painful. Yeah. I mean, it was this morning. Like I just, I just came from blood work. And I mean, I barely know how to, to talk about it as, as, as a part of my life because I want so much to be reassuring and be, um, but I I think partly that's why there's just no, there's just not a neatness to the way that we love each Mm. other. And we're often in, I think David Sedaris was the one that said it, like, uh, <laughs> who's so great about, it was about his sister. And he said that we we play roles long after they outlive their usefulness. Mm-hmm. And so I still want to be sort of grateful, patient, grateful daughter. And, and mostly I'm just sort of person with a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and Kate, how does Tobin feel about your husband, feel about the memoirs? Does he read them? Because they really are, you know, a look inside of you. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, He's been... Um, it's so funny. I have my my poor family. I think there's in a play I saw recently. It was like no one's safe around a writer, yeah. and uh, so I'm sure there's um, I'm sure it's always very awkward. Uh, but I yeah, I write a lot about him, and I write a lot about my parents, and mm-hmm. they've been um really generous with um l- the absurdity of all of our lives, and uh, and they've allowed me. I, I think there's just a funny way that sometimes we can be much more honest in our mm-hmm. writing than we are out loud. And yeah. in a way, it's almost like they allow us to be having two conversations at once. Like I write down the almost unbearable truths and then out loud, we can just hug each other. Mm-hmm. Like my husband doesn't read anything that I write. Are you he, Yeah, he just says he gives them the heebie-jeebies. And mm-hmm. like, and it's not even like I'm writing anything. No. Take, nothing like at the level of you. But You're I, so it, nice. I, but yeah, it's just like, because I think it's exactly that. There's some kind of barrier that is crossed. Yes. So I, that's, that's interesting yeah. that you can have two kinds of conversations at one time. And maybe it does make you feel like you can communicate certain things that you couldn't say to them. There was one part of the story that I didn't really think at all that I, that was a part of the story, which was just the question of vocation. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm the child of academics. I've got two professor parents and they, um, they have very sort of expensive jobs, jobs that, you know what I mean? Like it takes forever to get them and it's so hard to keep them. And, you know, it's, it can be a career that has a lot of disappointment and loneliness. And so when I got this really fancy job at Duke University, I didn't realize how much of my parents' hopes that I had quietly decided to shoulder as part of like a look all of your best hopes all of your best hopes can rest in me. Oh. Don't worry. And so when oh. I was like di- your father, particularly, oh my you goodness, you do write about his yeah. his challenges and his disappointments. Yeah. So when when I got this job, and then when I almost lost it, you know, by um, suddenly getting sick and not being able to work again, I was then trying to decide: like, are these? If I were con- to continue to try to do this work, is how much of these dreams are my own mm-hmm. and how much are they really just trying to carry the weight of this, this, the story that I care about, which was don't worry, all your sacrifices were worth it. So that, that was, yeah. a, I didn't really think I would write about that, but there I was. Right. And then you ultimately decided it was for you and you did want to do it. I think that uh, work is such a strange thing when we're trying to decide what, what our careers and what our callings and it ended up being a tremendous, giving me a tremendous amount of dignity, but also agency to not just be in a cancer center, Mm. getting infusions all the time, but Mm -hmm. being able to work on something that let me feel like I wasn't eclipsed by all these things I didn't choose. Well, Kate, we have a listener question that is right on this subject. So let's take a break. And then when we come back, we'll read the listener question and talk more about this idea of a career and a calling. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team 
And hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. Okay, we are back and we have a listener question from Diana. She says, I was particularly moved by the scene at the bar during a conference where Kate is talking to a friend about writing her next book in the face of her diagnosis. It's a question I've thought about as I get older, the place of work given our limited time on the planet. I'd love if Kate could talk about this more. I had a rare kind of cancer 16 years ago when I was about Kate's age and had young sons, which has made her work especially moving to me. And Kate, I think she's referring to the moment where you say to a friend, how will I know when this work has cost me too much? Mm -hmm. And he said, it likely depends on whether this is a career or a calling. And that was seemed like yeah. a very clear distinction in your mind. Yeah, I um, I, I sort of had the, the reverse version of the lottery question. What would you do if you won a million dollars? Like, would you, <laughs> would you quit your job? Would you, yeah. you know, finally yes. pick a fight with your yes. boss? Like, what would you do? And and instead I had a, what would you do if you're going to probably die at the end of this year? Would you go on to try to write a hilariously specific historical book that probably about three to 500 mm -hmm. people are going to read? <laughs> wait, wait, by the way, I read that book. I love that yeah. book. It wasn't a book for everyone. Bless you. Bless you. I know. Well, but it's always good to have friends. That's how I know. <laughs> no, I'm, I actually would have read it anyway. I am like, you write about subjects that are very interesting to me, but it's true. They're not going to be on every coffee table yeah. uh, across the country. Yeah, they're they specific. Are, they're learning. They're for a thing. And that, <laughs> and that thing. But the thing Thing, it turns out is the thing I love to do and the way I feel my very specific, bizarre, unique giftedness in the world, which is I am great at sitting on my butt for a very long time in an archive and pulling mm. out a story that is about religious 
history in America. And so I guess the question was, it felt wonderfully in the end anti-utilitarian. Like, what if it's for mm. no reason at all except mm -hmm. that it's good? Like, it's inherently good. And because I think we are made in the making of it. Mm -hmm. mm. Now, there was something very beautifully affirming about your, like, here are my microfiche requests. Bring it on. And like, I will want all of these scanned. It was, the, oh, the, the librarian was like, oh, my gosh, no. what just happened? Ma'am, do you really need all of that microfiche? Exactly right. I, uh... I, yeah, I love terrorizing um, just really <laughs> kindly library workers to be like, I'm going to need all 40 years of that magazine, please. Yeah. It feels um, – because I – my friend Doug said it so beautifully when – I was basically just struggling, well, with what is this for? Because shouldn't I just stay home and, you know, be a loving presence in my house 24 hours a day? Yeah. And he said uh, – Kate, the way you're framing this, it just isn't quite right that it's either about your interests or your ambitions, but that even if the worst happens, that your son, like in referring to the book, he was like, he can find you there. That struck me as such a beautiful, loving way of telling whether our work is good, is if it says, if it becomes a, a part of who we are and what we give. And... uh and that really rang a bell for me, and I thought, what a good way of, of, of making something beautiful for, for no reason except that. Well, one thing, I mean, comparing this memoir to your last memoir, it did strike me as this one was sharper. It felt like you were going more into not, not maybe um, brushing off the sharp edges as yeah. much as maybe you had done. I don't even know, consciously, unconsciously, in the writing of it. It felt like this time you were more, there was an edge to it. Did you feel that way in writing? Or is that just your experience of it? Yeah, I, you know, I wonder sometimes if we just have truths that we can live with. So we tell ourselves stories and we can live in stories that... Um, that make a kind of peace or meaning with the people, with ourselves and the people around us. And so when I wrote the first um, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, I I wrote it in really only about a month, assuming that I was going to die pretty quickly. So I was writing what I hoped would be part kind of, wow, it's so hard to to live with unexplainable suffering while everyone's trying to explain you. And it was also meant to be a love letter to my family because I assumed that that was what we could all need to 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 go on into a really hard um, future without me. Mm -hmm. And so there were a lot of things I didn't say, especially about how really complicated and painful my medical experience has been mm -hmm. as being part of a clinical trial where it turns out that a lot of the the drugs I was on and the treatment I was given was because it was good for the experiment, but not necessarily good for me. Mm -hmm, and yes. I was so worried about just trying to audition for good medical care mm. and that I really I didn't I didn't even feel able to be honest about how awful it had been. So when it came time to this one, I was like, you know what? Let's mm -hmm. just try to tell the truth about mm -hmm. that problems that can't be solved place tremendous burdens on on us. And so yeah, I I I I did feel like I I definitely came out swinging on this one. 
Well, Kate, on that subject, Jamie said, I was really shocked by some of the doctor's actions when the doctor didn't tell Kate she could have been treated at home and even more with the failure to read the lab report that she and a friend had to figure out themselves. Did she confront him? Um, And we were, of course, also very struck. I mean, it's just what you're talking about. Did you confront that doctor ever? I did confront him. And Mm. um, it has been... I guess that's been one of the most painful parts of all of this is that, I mean, the longer I lived, the more I felt able to be really direct about how hard it's been. Mm -hmm. And I still found that the response was the same, which was, um, I'm sorry you feel that way, or, but aren't you so lucky to have gotten this drug at all? Mm -hmm. I get, aren't you so lucky the most often? Well, it's like the plastic surgeon that was like, you know, given everything you've been through, I would think you'd just be glad to be alive. And you're like, for real, a plastic surgeon is lecturing me right. about this? Yes. We were I incensed mean, by that. Beyond. <laughs> I'm like most basically naked in front of someone who's like poking at me, telling me that because I, I'm not hor- horrifically maimed, that I should probably just be fine with it. You do make it funny in the moment. <laughs> yes. and I think that's part of your gift, Kate, is to yeah, kind thanks. of capture the funniness of it. Because it really is so heart-wrenching. Um, and, and and we do feel incensed for you. Thank you. That means, honestly, that means so much yeah. to me. Because uh, I, uh, because no one, no one is there in that room to remind you. Like, oh, you are, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry this happened to you. Um, I'm, you don't deserve that. I, what an awful thing. Like all those things are things you have to tell yourself much later after you wonder, wait, could I have done something different? Did I? Mm-hmm. But the feeling of, um, I think that's been the the struggle is when you have to let go of so much so quickly, like I had to, I had to let go of, of control over, like, like you just wake up and you've got bandages and you don't know what's underneath or how it's going to look. You have to give up on vanity. You have to give up on anything but your survival. And somewhere along the line, I realized how much of my own feeling of worth I had given up because mm. I really did feel, you know, when, when I had had to beg for medical care for so long, and which is why I had stage four cancer in the first place, is that I'd been turned away at the ER with Pepto-Bismol for months. Mm that somewhere along the line, I began to feel really um, not worth saving. And it has been really hard to get that back. And so I think part for me of the the healing power of being able to write all this down is I can see from the outside that mm. um, a long time ago, I, I wish I'd had somebody who, um, who was mm. going to fight harder for my life. Mm. Well, just from an outsider's point of view, anytime you speak or I read your books, I find you to be so extraordinary and like so wise. Um, Not to say, oh, you're wise because you had cancer, but you've done all this studying and you're such an amazing uh, speaker and you have the way of putting things. So for you to feel that way, if you could feel that way, anyone can feel that way. Right, right. Well, man, it it does. Sometimes that feels like the... The worst part of all of it is that even if I can be like a densely networked person, even if I can be a, a direct and decent advocate that like if it's this hard for me, yes, it must be 
right. almost impossible for everybody. If they're if they're like me and they're kind of off the beaten path of medical treatment, Gretchen, you said the funniest thing, didn't you? Say I was on the service road or something. I was oh, like, I'm, I'm on the medical. I don't want. I want to be on the medical yeah. super yeah. highway. And you were like, yeah, 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 I think yeah, you're yeah. kind of on the the side <laughs> service road. Yeah, that no. made me laugh really hard. Wait, but speaking of, like, so what happened? I mean, this is just, like, pure, like, oh, yeah. what happened in Kate's life. So, like, just tell us what happened with oh, the doctor. when I confronted him? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, there's a lot of blinking and discomfort. And then uh, that he didn't know, even though he, of course, knew, because I knew that other, when I, that the surgeon in the room had gone to tell him directly. And then he obviously felt very uncomfortable with continuing to provide me with care. And so I, I switched oncologists, but the, uh, and this I've truly find unbelievably hilarious, but I, so I just wanted to give him a graceful out. And the last thing he said, though, he was so happy to not be my doctor anymore. I could just tell how absolutely happy he was. And then he stands up to leave and he walks out the door and then he, he turns right before he closes it and he goes, thanks for not writing about me in the New York Times. Oh. And all I thought was, oh, bud, there's a sequel. <laughs> yes, you just Whoa. wait. Oh, what? my God. I mean, the levels. I mean, I the, there's so many things wrong with that. My mind is, like, exploding. Wow. <laughs> Gretchen, sometimes I want you to wow. be a, a lawyer again. So that <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> See, be great at this. It does sometimes. Um, I think the stories that were given about how to how to live. One of them is that we just have to figure out how to be a great patient, and that has been one of the formulas that broke down for me. Finally, I mean, it just exploded. Was that there's no such thing as convincing people that your life is worth saving, or that people either will step up for you or they won't, and you just have to find those people. But certainly the role of grateful, grateful patient didn't do me nearly the amount of, of work as I, I hoped it would. <laughs> well, Kate, on that topic, I read, um, so Gilda Radner and Gene Wilder were married, and Gilda Radner died of ovarian cancer. And both of them had written memoirs, and I read both of their memoirs, which was super fascinating to see both of their perspectives on their time together. But one of the things that Gene Wilder said struck me so much was he said that First of all, he thought that they didn't get as good a care because all the doctors were just so like so starstruck by the fact that, you know, they were these recognizable people. But then he said that Gilda Radner had felt so much pressure to be a good patient and to be funny and to be entertaining. He thought that she was just drained and exhausted by it. Mm-hmm. Not like that yeah. that like changed yeah. anything, but just that he felt like she felt so much pressure to to earn attention. And so that very much was, you know, the kind of thing that you were saying that you were feeling as well. Yeah, it's like a particular medical form of the toxic positivity that we absorb. I mean, I think this is what is so confusing about the role of patient is that most of our job will simply to be someone who endures, someone Mm -hmm. who just takes the medication, lives through the side effects, Sign, you know, comes back again for the next treatment. But we're given these really intense victory narratives that you're going to, you know, kick cancer's butt or you're going to like, you're going to be a certain kind of person. And certainly I think it, it feels emotionally confusing because it is that everyone has to be playing two roles, that they mm-hmm. are um, both cheerful and like, and typically enduring the hardest moments of their life in the same breath. 
And that's why you see with like a really gifted doctor or nurse, like you feel like they are on your side or that if even if they can't, they would that you feel their desire to heal just just as you feel for yourself (laughs) or for someone else. Like they feel like they're on that side. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Coming up, Kate will read one of our favorite passages from her book. But first, this break. We're so excited to introduce you to Great Jones. Great Jones makes high-quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that's so stunning, you won't want to put it away. They have everything from Dutch ovens to ceramic dishes to non-stick sheet pans. They've got everything you want. I have the Saucy, which is a terrific saucepan. It has curved sides. It has a pouring spout. It has a lid. And it looks so elegant. It's really a pleasure just to look at it on the counter, even before we're using it. Yes, I love all the colors. Yeah. They make stunning gifts that are actually useful. Weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays. It's the perfect gift for the foodie in your life. So upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code HAPPIER. That's greatjones.com, promo code HAPPIER. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. As your kids get older, some things about parenting get easier. They can dress themselves. They can clean up after themselves, allegedly. Other things don't, like having conversations about money. The fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money unless they're actually in charge of it. That's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Yeah, Jack has green light. And one thing I love is that it includes a chores feature where you can set up one-time or recurring chores and reward kids with allowance for a job well done. Gretchen, we used to mow the lawn. How much more motivated would we have been if we'd had funds deposited when we completed the hut chore? Mm-hmm. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash happier. That's greenlight.com slash happier to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash happier. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small, and when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Gretchen, when I started my career, therapy really helped me work through all of my stresses so that I was able to concentrate at work and do a good job. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gretchen Rubin today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gretchen Rubin. And now, Kate, read that passage. Elizabeth and I both love this passage so much. Oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Someday we won't need to hope. Someday we don't need courage. Time itself will be wrapped up with a bow, 
and God will draw us into the eternal moment where there will be no suffering, no disease, no email. In the meantime, we are stuck with our beautiful, terrible finitude, our gossip and petty fights, self-hatred and refusal to check our voicemail. We get divorced, waste our time, and break our own hearts. We are cobbled together by the softest material, laughter and pets and long talks with old friends, by God's unscrupulous love and by communities who give us a place to belong. And there is nothing particularly glamorous about us, except that we have moments where we are shockingly magnanimous before forgetting about it the next day. How lucky, then, that we are not failing. Our lives are not problems to be solved. We can have meaning and beauty and love, but nothing even close to resolution. That last line seems to sum up a lot of the book, which is there can, there's so much search and there's so much beauty and meaning, but there's no resolution. And you have, you are trying to make your peace with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know how much I love a good checklist. Like I (laughs) I just love it so much. Like if I could figure out what enoughness or doneness in a life felt like, then I would. And I feel it every time I have a scary scan coming up or I have a birthday and I'm trying to figure out like, what do I need to get to, Mm. to wrap this Mm. up? And, Mm -hmm. Mm. and I, it just reminds me of something my old man friend said when I first got sick was, uh, I was like, just tell me, like, what age do I have to get to? Like, I, I, I just have to get my son launched. Like, what do I need to do? And he was like, oh, but Kate, it, it comes undone. And I, that's such a, a perfect way of reminding us again and again, we don't really, there will be ends, but nothing close to finishing life. Mm-hmm. And that maybe it would be good to have a little bit more tolerance <laughs> for, mm-hmm. for the uncertainty that that, 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 that that uncertain feeling that that gives us. Well, one of my takeaways from the book is that we don't have to feel bad about not feeling transcendent. Like yes. we can just live <laughs> yeah. and that's sort of fine. Yeah. Just like how your bucket list has, you know, seeing the biggest ball of yarn. You know, it's it's yeah. not that grand of a, yeah. a, a desire. Well, it's a huge ball of yarn, Elizabeth. I feel yeah, like you're okay. not well, really, I feel like you're diminishing the sheer <laughs> yes. size of Potentially this. Potentially <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, because at first I wanted so much to like make every minute into a moment. Yes. Mm. And like the existential weight of that, yes. gee whiz, like it was so intense. And yeah, I think we, I think we should feel permission to live our ordinary, dumb, beautiful lives as they are. Well, and then along those lines, we have our final question from a listener. Rebecca writes, in your book, you describe three experiences of time, tragic, apocalyptic, and pastoral. Do you think we should live our lives differently in pastoral time if we know that tragic or apocalyptic time could happen to us someday? Would you have lived your before life differently knowing what was coming after? So just yeah. for people who, who don't remember what those three terms are, remind them of what those three kinds of time are. Sure. This comes from my friend Luke, who is saying that there's ordinary time, which is um, just think of like farmers. It's sowing and reaping and getting up and fixing the fence. And it's just all the ordinary stuff. And, um, and that we so often live where a Tuesday is a Tuesday and summer mm-hmm. break is coming up. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's a tragic time when you wake up and you can't believe that the world is still is still having their day because mm-hmm. your life in the way you knew it ended. And it feels surreal. And maybe for me, it always felt sort of bright and crisp and and awful. And uh, and that's the kind of time where you could, um, where you understand the world's fragility in a way that you didn't before. And then there's like apocalyptic time, which is how we feel when we think about the end of things, like the end of the world, the end of, um, so like uh, the way we feel about the environment, um, environmental brinksmanship and the explosion, the explosion of our planet. (laughs) We we feel that way when we think about, um, we want to make huge changes and we imagine binaries that there's good and evil. And so um, in each kind of time, it, it, it gives us a different clarity the ability to make um, to either live with the world that we have or to totally unmake it. Um, I was in New York recently and yelled at yelled <laughs> yelled at by one of those guys wearing a sandwich board that said the mm-hmm. end is near, and I smiled at him because I was like, "Oh, bud, like that's hard. That's hard work." Yeah. And he yelled at me for two <laughs> two blocks. He was like, "I see your fake smile," and I was like, "Right, right, right. Apocalyptic time. Uh-huh. Like, there's no such thing as little smiles in apocalyptic <laughs> right. time." Right. Also, right. that that right. man didn't seem very nice. Um. Uh, yeah. But uh, I lived in a version of ordinary time, but I think I would have. If I'd known, I would have done it differently. I wouldn't have always lived in kind of this aggressive futurism because I was mm. never really fully in the present. I was always like making plans and trying to figure out if we should paint the baby room and what's our next trip with our, you know, my parents. And I was very checklisty and mm. like a bulldozer moving toward the future. And if I'd known, I would have. Um, accepted the present for the gift that it is knowing that everybody is going to cycle into tragic time but that just like like live in the season that i have while i have it accept Mm. the beauty of that window Mm. that's a great insight yeah and that idea comes through so strongly in your in your books both of your books you know, it's really powerful. I think it's part of what makes the book so powerful. Yeah. Um, so, Kate, we have to let you get back to everything you're doing. Um, <laughs> but first, your tendency. I know you know your tendency. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am an obliger. <laughs> I just want everyone to be happy, but especially you guys right now. If there's anything you need from me, I'll be right there. Oh, great. <laughs> I love obligers. Um, and how about a try this at home? Do you have a suggestion? What What has worked for you? Yeah. I guess I was thinking about the kind of friend or kind of person that I now realize how much I need now that I'm in this stage Mm. of my life, which is Mm. the chronic stage where I just, you know, I have, I have relatively unsolvable problems like chronic Mm. cancer and, and that we, we, we might need a different kind of friend and that I need, maybe need to be a different kind of friend. So, um, one thing I've started doing is, especially when we have our friends have problems and we are very likely to forget them if they're not a crisis. So mm-hmm. if somebody has something coming up, like maybe an anniversary of a divorce or mm. or a, a medical appointment that they're nervous about, I'll ask them when it is and I'll just try to put it in my calendar mm. so that even like oh. a week before, a week after that, that just say, ask, you know, ask so-and-so about this. So then you're the the friend that doesn't forget, which to me is always a gift. It's like a checking in reminder. Yes. Because yes. I think you're right. We almost have an instinct to want to forget about it because we don't want to think about their pain yeah. or, right. Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. A checking yes. in reminder. Love that. 
Well, Kate, thank you so much. It's always such a treat to get to talk to you. And we loved reading your memoir. You guys, I felt so special. Thanks so much for picking the book. (laughs) It really meant a lot to me. Thank you. Well, people loved it. So thanks so much. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, friends. If you'd like to hear more from Kate, as one does, you can listen to her podcast, Everything Happens, or you can listen to an interview that Elizabeth and I did with her in episode 273. Uh, We would still love to hear your impressions and reflections on this terrific memoir. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. As always, you can go to the show notes for this episode. It's happiercast.com slash 349 for everything related to this episode. Remember, whenever it is and wherever you are, there's always a book waiting for you. The resources for this week, you can subscribe to the Happiness Project email list to get tips, tools, and curated insights for your happiness project. Every Sunday, go to happiercast.com slash happinessprojectlist to sign up. Also, I'll put a link in the show notes. And we know that many of you are completists, and we hear from people who are sorry when they get all caught up on the podcast. (laughs) Um, So if you want more from me, you can listen to my audiobooks. You can listen to them wherever you get your books. And speaking of books, Elizabeth, what are we reading? I am listening to Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer. And I'm reading Zen Inklings by Donald Ritchie. And we hopefully will be announcing our next book club pick very soon. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember, hashtag read 21 in 21. More reading. Thank you to Kate Bowler. Read her terrific memoir, No Cure for Being Human. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram, at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, you know the drill. Please be sure to tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best. And follow, rate, and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. Gretch, it's always amazing to me how Kate just drops so many like perfectly phrased yes. things that, you know, I could spend a whole career trying to come up with. No, she's so wise. From the Onward Project. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth... I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent.
So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.